he called me and he said, I was going through a stack of papers on my desk and I saw your name. And of course, I'm not John or Jake, right? I'm like Titan. <laughs> so out, he's like, oh, out, yeah. wait. And he's like talking to his guy, Keith. Wait, Titan's trying to open his shop. Yeah, they denied him. And he said, hey, he said, give me his number. He called me up. He said, what's your plan? I gave him my game plan. I told him who my customers were. And he said, Titan, I haven't done this in nine years, but I'm personally going to guarantee your machines to Hoss. Where do I drop them off? Nice. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger. And I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Carr. Hey. And Nick Golner. What's up, man? And we are here in Texas, and we have a very where? special guest where for us. Where are we at? We're in Texas. Oh, all right. Yeah. That's where I thought it said when I flew in, DFW. And we are not going to drone on and on and on with all of our stuff, our banter for a long time, because we are just so excited I mean, to you're introduce. Not, you, I'm not going to drone you're on. You're yeah, exactly. You're exactly. all banter. We're just going to kick this thing right off and introduce our guests, because we are just so excited to be here. If you can hear, we've got the machines humming in the background, so there's going to be a little bit of background yeah, you know, noise. I, I kind of feel at good. home. I feel I like I'm at home. I feel like I'm out in my shop. Well, you know, right. it, it is nicer to be in the backdrop of CNC machines than being in a studio. I got to be honest with you. It's different. Yeah. That's for sure. It's probably yeah. not nicer for our editors, but we like that's it. That's okay. This is our element. It's okay. It's, it's all, all good. It's all good. Yeah, that's, it's going to be a fun episode, so I'm ready to kick it off. Well, let's do that. So, so as much yeah, as I'd love Nick, to go ahead, do Nick. our normal banter and get into yeah. manufacturing news like we are already do. Who do we got? Today, we're here in Texas because we have a very special guest. It's Titan Gilroy. And I'm actually going to let him introduce himself. Everyone already kind of knows who Titan is in the industry, but I want to hear from you. I thought his name was Titans of CNC. I thought that's not oh, his no. name. His real oh, name he, has a, he, has, he actually has a last name. I want to hear from you, man. Who is Titan Gilroy? Welcome, Titan, by the way. Hey, thank you guys so much. You guys like came down here. It's amazing. That's yeah, fun. Love you guys, man. Yeah, you guys like you. have Love it going too. on. And uh, thank you for what you guys do for the trade, promoting it. And uh, in that same kind of way, I would say, if you ask me well, who I am, I would say I'm an advocate for advanced manufacturing and uh, dedicate my life to serving our industry, to lifting up shops and helping them compete and teaching our kids and just all of it. And uh, it's just a huge blessing. So Titan, I mean, we look out and we've got all these state-of-the-art machines. I mean, new building, your place. I mean, honestly, it looks fantastic. I mean, this is like... Thank you. It's literally like a CNC showroom. Thank you. Um, it didn't start this way. This is obviously a long journey. I mean, when people look at your videos, they're like, oh yeah, you know, but this was a lot of hard work to get here. So tell us how this all started. How did you get started in CNC machining first? And how did we get to here? Yeah, you know, I think that one of the great things about manufacturing is you don't have to be college educated, right? I have no. no money. I had no opportunities in life. Just to be homeless with my mom on the beach, living in a tent, went through hard struggles. And one day I walked into a machine shop for $9 an hour. I saw a machine, didn't even have a car when I was growing up, was hitchhiking everywhere. Even if we had to go to the doctor, I'd be like hiding in the bushes. My mom would be like hitchhiking and I didn't want anybody to see me, you know? It so, sounds like when I'm dropping my daughter yeah. off at high school, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't want, want to be, yeah. she doesn't want to be seen with me. From her exactly. Guess what? I get it. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't blame her, dude. So, you know, I, I just came from like a hard life and then uh, Where was one this day, at? Where was this beach It's in Maui, Hawaii. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. I grew up, I grew up the only uh, Caucasian kid in my neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just 
And that, getting... that machine shop you wandered into was in Hawaii? Nope. It was no, no, no. Sunny... We're going way back, Nick. Okay, so, yeah. that, so I'm that's... just saying where, yeah. where I was from. Yeah. And I, I, because I used to get beat up all the time by everybody, I ended up boxing and uh, becoming really good and actually had George Foreman's trainer, Dick Saddle, actually brought me from Hawaii to Oakland, where I ended up fighting, went up to top rank in Vegas, and uh, just was always very competitive. And wow. uh, yeah, it was a crazy journey. And uh, yeah. So your manufacturing journey didn't start until you came to California. I came to California, went to Vegas, took a side trip to prison. Okay. And, uh, Can you tell us about that side trip out. to prison? I yeah, think that's that, important. You if, know, it's, it's, if you'd like to. I'm good. I share the struggles because that's what life is. There's and, other and people that go, yeah. Yeah, exactly. People, go, whether it be like prison or there's a lot of different things people go through. We and all I have our demons, right? I, yeah. I try to be an example to just say, hey, no matter how bad life gets, it's life is levels. You can like cut that chain and now you're qualified to go help other people that are going through what you went through, you know? Yeah, right so I don't want to get too hard into it. But at the end of the day, I grew up fighting. I got, I used to, <laughs> sometimes I'd get my, you know what, kick six times a day and people breaking our windows when we did get a house and throwing rocks at my mom. I just grew up in a hard place. I just saw it all the time. And when I was boxing, I was like, again, that's all you do. And one time I went back to Hawaii and I went out to a nightclub. Fights broke out. A guy pushed me back. I hit him with one punch. I shouldn't have done it. I was in the wrong place. Didn't try to fight anything, but he went back and hit his head and actually uh, got hurt. And I got 16 years in prison. Yeah. And it was yeah. a horrible thing. And you served all 16? No, I served three. Okay. Okay, good. It's probably yeah. worse because you were a boxer, right? So it's exactly. like, it's like a weapon. Exactly. And everybody knew me. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was just like, it was a hard time. And I went through some struggles the first year, you know, and then I just started doing my time. I got into my art and I started like making cards for all the inmates so they could send them to their wives or their daughters or different things. And just started like, you know, I thought I was going to go back to boxing. And then when I came out, went back and, uh, Nobody taught me how to be a man. I wasn't a man yet. You know, I didn't right. know responsibility. I had something else happen. In this particular case, I was actually protecting police officers. They were being attacked by somebody. And then in that particular case, same thing. I hit somebody. The next day, I literally, my life changed. And I wasn't in trouble at that time. But I was like, I'm never going to hit another person. And I'm done it was January in Las Vegas and it's usually cold. It was the craziest, most peaceful day. I just felt called to go to California. I went to California. I just did a video saying, Hey, I, I tried to get a job at Home Depot and they denied me, you know? But oh, then because you had a record? Because I had a record, yep. Yeah. And just wasn't qualified, you know? You know, it's so funny time. I hadn't because done anything. You have a larger than life personality, but I would never see that. I mean, you're a very lovable guy. I think, ah. You know, so I don't even see that in you, but it's you know, it's great yeah. how you've turned your life around. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say, so I'm trying to understand in my head, I'm a visual guy. So you grew up in Maui. Yep. With a bunch of six, five Samoans. Okay. We're all my boys now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you went to Vegas. Went to Vegas. Went then... to California, fought, and then I got picked up by Top Rank. Then I went to Vegas. Okay. And then after this boxing gig, you, daring, were, you were in Maui or in Hawaii. Yep. And you were in a bar and At you got into a fight. Place. Yep. So you served your time with where? my old friends that I shouldn't have been with. Yeah, consumed I know. Alcohol. I know. The, the, yeah, you need to get rid of them, right? Yep. Yep. So where did you serve your time? What At state? Halava Prison okay. in Oahu. There yep. we go. So you served three years, came out, and then you went back to California. Yep. 
And one then of the best you, things that I did was I actually qualified for a pineapple line. So the, a lot of people were failing, like I was picking pineapples and stuff. They would bring in different people. So they had the inmates doing it. And if you actually reach a certain level, um, they would allow you to do it and they would pay you. So I got paid $14 an hour. Half the bet. money went to pay for my room and board. Right. And then we picked pineapples all day long. You think it's a crazy job, right? You're bent over all first year's crops. You're picking pineapples off the ground and throwing them in a big boom that's in front of you, conveyor belt. And then fifth year crops, you're dealing with centipedes and like pineapple plants that are over your head, you know? But uh, that hard work was great because it was the first real job I had. And then when I went to, uh, yeah, I came to the mainland. And by the time I ended up in California, I was ready to work. I wanted to change my life. And yeah. And manufacturing found you. Yeah, I well, looked so in the paper. So back to that Home Depot thing. So you rejected from Home Depot and somehow you ended up in a machine shop. Fill yep. in the blanks. I looked in the paper. It's an awesome story because I looked in the paper. It says saw operator. I didn't know I'm from Hawaii. I know pan- pineapples, right? So I, I looked in the paper, saw operator. I qualified. I mean, I went, I got a job at Campbell Tool and Metal on California. And then I just, like, I walked in. I was always, I always, like, I would get Fs and everything, and I'd get an A in art and an A in math. Because I just, <laughs> but what would I ever do I, with math, you know, right. and, and yeah, art what, and creativity, what do you, you know? Think? That's yeah. what I thought. What would I ever do with art? And I, I love that you're a painter. You guys won't believe this, but Titan is an unreal painter. We saw paintings in his office. Yeah. Would you really buy his painting? Thank you. Heck Thank yeah, yeah, because it's from Titan. Okay. okay. I don't know That's if they're funny. for sale. I have a feeling they're not. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, the whole shop is art. I just look at the whole thing as art and creativity and all that, you know. Yeah, stepping into uh, the shop, I learned all of a sudden my head clicked. I started like operating all these saws within a couple months. I could run every saw in the house. It was Vertical, like expensive horizontal. equipment, yeah. everything, like big plate saws, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. big four by eights of like six inch thick. Was six, it, was it metal? Was it, you were, yeah. So yeah. you were cutting up metal for, um, yeah. it's funny, right? Hawaii has an 87% recidivism rate. That means 87% of inmates go back to prison. Yeah. Guess what? There's no manufacturing. Mm-hmm. There's no manufacturing. So if you're not going to be a, a mechanic and the, you can only be, and you're not going to be in the tourist Tourism. industry, yeah. There's a whole segment that are lost and they can't make money. And it's the most expensive place, you know? Right, so yeah. coming from Hawaii, I had no idea what manufacturing was. I never I had no idea. never heard the word CNC machining at all. And then all of a sudden I'm cutting all these strips and I'm learning how to use calipers and I'm like palletizing everything. And all I knew was I started hearing the word machine shop, machine shop. And they kept taking all these pallets of the metal that I would cut up to all these machine shops. We'd put them on a truck, they'd go away. And then one fateful day, the driver came back and I would work so many hours and I was so dedicated. Again, $9 an hour. And one day he came back and he's like, you need to go to Zanola Manufacturing in Sunnyville because I just talked to the owner. They have a small shop. They do some crazy parts, very technical, very difficult. And they're looking for a young guy they can teach the trade to. At the time I was 26 years old, and I went over there. It was a Friday. I talked to Dave Zanola, and I, I basically told him, if you give me a job, I'll be your best worker within a year. And I left. He said, well, think about it. I went back on Monday, and I went again. I said, I'm telling you, I will stay. I'll come in early, leave late. Like I'll read books. I'll go to school. I'll do whatever it takes, but I will be your best worker. And he gave me a job for $11 well, he an hour. you too. He gave you an opportunity. That was your opportunity. What was your motivation for wanting that machine shop job? I just had nothing, man. Yeah. Like I had nothing. And by that time, I had two kids on Tyson and Christian. 
I had um, like $1,000 child support. I was making $9 an hour. I couldn't even afford a plane ticket to go visit my kids, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just wanted an opportunity at life. And then when I was running the saws and I started seeing, understanding what industry was, I started seeing like, whoa, there's levels to this game. And if you learn how to program, you do all these things, you could make like, to me, $20 an hour was a lot of money and stuff. And then I heard that in machining, you could do that and go beyond. Right. So I just was hungry and he saw it in my face. And I told him about my past, but I told him, I will, like, you will love me. I'm going to like be a foundation in here. And that was it. I worked there for four years within a year. Tell us about the journey at Zanola. Yeah, I mean, how did you, where, how did you he... learn the trades there? I mean, how did you learn CNC? So one of the greatest things is that when I walked in, and I do a lot of different videos on different things because of my experiences, right? But I walked in, they put me on a proto truck, a proto, like it was a manual mill, but it was like you could actually I know what they you, are. Yeah, yeah you could actually create like programs. So you could you could put like it's all GNM code yeah, programming, right? X Y zero here. Yeah. You could say, oh, go over four inches down negative two, yep. make a rectangle. Then you say, oh, I'm on the left side. It does cutter comp, yep. all that. Yep. So for the first six months, all I did was a whole bunch of parts on the prototrack and I learned how to program on it. So my head got it. And then six well, months later. you learned later, the Cartesian coordinate system really quick, right? Yeah. Yep. Then I got on a 40, we were just talking about Fidel 4020 and um uh, started running it and I just, I got it. I just understood it. Me too. And after a few months, I was allowed to start making changes with the programs and stuff. And the promise came true. Every time the boss, Dave, would come across past the machine, I'd be like, hey, Dave, this this program, we're running a thousand parts. It was at 13 minutes. I changed this. I adjusted that. I did this and I got it down to seven minutes. Hey, Dave, you know, (laughs) you got a buzz you yeah. got like you it got a game. you got high off of creating efficiencies. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. So I loved if it, it. it was taking twenty minutes, you were determined yeah. to get it down to fifteen. Yeah. I didn't yeah. like nobody was really there to like teach me after a while. So then I would look at the tool and I'm like, they're running at six thousand RPMs. Right. They're at fifty inches a minute. Yep. Like I'm gonna go to eight thousand RPMs. I'm gonna actually bump it up another twenty inches a minute. Hey, it didn't break. Hey, what can I go a little bit faster? Can I bump it up a little bit faster? And he was the type if he had. Dave had a 10,000 RPM spindle. He didn't allow you to run it over 7,500, you know? So then I'll take it right to 75, but then I would like take it up to nine. And then I would show him the savings. Like it literally, (laughs) I would be like dropping it in half. And I just kept telling him like, so then he walked oh, by I and just, you turn it back down. Yeah. And I, but then I would be like, <laughs> Oh no, you could no. hear those spindles, those yeah. old fiddles at 10,000 oh, RPM. He, the whole machine shop would be shaken. Yeah. Right. He changed his attitude real quick. Yeah. And I kept telling him, Oh, I just saved you $2,000. <laughs> I just saved you a thousand. Yeah. I was making 11. Yeah. I mean, right, as, like right, a, right. as like a tooling guy, I mean, guys like you are my best friend. I mean, the yeah. guys that want to push it and make yeah. parts faster. I wish that more guys were like that. I wish yeah. that more people wanted to push that. How do you, how do we it's get depressing? to run slow. Yeah, yeah I agree. I'm just saying like, How do we yeah, get, yeah. like I've walked up to my guys in the shop and I've looked at the control. They've got a drill at one inch a minute. I I had to walk away. I was so it better di- be a three inch drill. I was right. so dis- <laughs> in titanium. Yeah. Yeah. A three, who uses a three inch drill? Right? We There's circular interpolate boards, uh, right? Yeah. That's a better <laughs> you're gonna get a much better faster stock removal, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Depends <laughs> how deep you're going. It I, depends okay. how deep you're going. Dip, well, yep. it depends on a lot of things. But Jason right? asked the question: How do you get people to? I think you kind of already answered it, but I want you to expand on it. How well, do you I get mean, people to be challenged more? And you said and want to go faster. It's a game. You, that's yeah. what you keep saying. It's like a game. It's like a game. If you make work like a game, where you're trying to, you keep saying levels. You're trying to level up. How do I get to the next level? 
I don't want to answer the question for you, Titan, but like two things that I thought of was your videos are inspirational for pushing the limits. But the other thing that occurred to me is we're in your office. And one of the things I'm thinking to myself, I've got an eight-year-old son. He's really good at math. He loves computers. He wants to play video games and stuff like that. I want to figure out how do I make this transition from him being motivated by getting to the next level of roadblocks or Pokemon or whatever the heck he's playing to how do I get him engaged with your curriculum and wanting to get to the next level of that? And, and right I want to hear more of your story first before we get to the academy. But to me, I started thinking about that when we were in the room and I'm like, I need Brady, my eight-year-old, to start learning your design videos and learning how to do that and thinking of this as a game. Like, okay, if I can move from making these basic pieces to making aerospace parts, that's the game that I want him to play. So bring us from like, where we just left off, where you were excelling as a machinist to the beginning of Titans of CNC. Well, let me just end that segment at Zanola. Yeah, please. Every day I would go in and I went from and I would save them money. And there was times where I would go home and I knew they were in trouble. I would eat dinner and I'd work all night. They would come back and I'd have all the parts done that they didn't in think they were going to ship. In trouble with deliveries? Like they can't make a delivery the following oh, okay. day. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so got I'm it. like, I'd go home. Got it. In- extremely grateful that they gave me an opportunity. And I would come back and just be like, you don't have to pay me. And I work all night. I'd get the parts done. They would walk in. I'd be like, we're ready to ship. Well, that's, and- a, that's a rare trait. That but, is a rare trait in wh- this industry, too. How do we too. inspire? I mean, but look at what he's achieved because of that attitude. And like, how do we inspire? the machinists that are out there now to want to take on those values that you had instilled in you at a, at a very young age. I think that has a lot to do with, when we talk about the academy, like vision, and we, we talk about keeping employees, about setting that vision, those goals, and being a leader that is with the people that you can actually like set out on a journey together, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I was doing that though, I went from $11 an hour to 13 to 15 to 18 to 20 to 22, 24, 28. Leveling up. You know, when his, uh, uh, Dave had a son, Kevin, who was head programmer. And basically a while after I started running the CNCs, they got in a big fight. He was leaving. And then Dave came out to me and he said, hey, I can go out and hire a programmer who has all this experience, but I've never seen somebody who actually has a talent like you do on these machines. So Kevin's going to spend his last two weeks teaching you how to program. We were doing SurfCam at that time and MasterCam. And then he's going to teach you when you can do your first program, I'm going to give you a $2 raise. And then when you can do it consistently, I'll give you another $2 raise. The following day, I made my first program. And from that point on, I was I programmed every single job in the shop. That changed my life because being able to program allowed me to go off on my own and solve problems and make him money, which at the end, when I left, he wanted me to stay. I just wanted to run bigger machines and go to bigger companies. And basically, so Kevin ended up staying and buying the company. And he's like, you're already running. You do it. But Kevin offered to buy me a house if I would actually stay at that. And we're today, we're still friends and stuff. Changed my entire life. I always remember that. And yeah, I went out and worked for many big companies, huge companies, solve problems like people, you know, SNR, like applied materials work where they're just like scrapping just tons of material and parts and then go in there and I just program them and fix them. And what do you mean you were, they were scrapping all kinds of yeah, just crazy parts where you have like big pockets and you have these rough outs. They got to keep, you know, a few thousands on the back and then they're bowing on them and stuff. This one particular job I'm talking about and 
go in there and solve that problem. So, so when you said go in there and solve the problem, you were going in as like a contracted contract programmer. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you were like a programmer for hire. Yeah. Okay. So you hadn't started Titan. Uh, was that yeah. Titans Engineering? Yeah, that was before. Okay. So it's kind of like a long story. So I worked at a lot of different companies and I programmed on the side and built different companies, learn how to do electrical and all that. And then I was at a one company that the owner was basically, hey, I'm going to move to Texas and uh, basically the shop's going to be yours. Let's have a contract. And like you bring in the work, you do this, you do that, you do the programming, all that. And then basically I'll move and this will be yours. And then at the end of the contract, he sat me down and said, Titan, I actually found a buyer for the company, but you're going to be in the contract. You're going to make six figures, all this stuff. And basically I walked away with nothing. And that's when I went and opened my own shop. Good for you. Yeah. You got to control your own destiny. Yeah. At that time, it was a scary thing. I mean, even my car belonged to them, right? I had to go hand it back. So it was a huge risk. But I had a machinist that worked for me at that company on the night shift. His parents had just passed. They left him $50,000. And uh, at that moment, when I was trying to figure out, I was quoting um, machine tools like Haas's over at Selway in California. And I got literally, as I was trying to do this, I was figuring out, they're like, do you have money? I was like, no. <laughs> I was knocking on doors and I was trying to sell myself and how I was going to drop their manufacturing costs and just the philosophy and every door, everybody's like, we will give you work. We've heard about you, yeah. all this, but every door closed. And then this guy came to me and he said, Titan, all I have in the world is my house, my wife, and I got $50,000 on my, I'm going blind. My hands are going, I want to give it to you and invest in you. And I was like, Jeff, I'm not going to like take your money, man. Yeah. Like, but then I tried and tried. And finally, I said, hey, if you do it, I'll triple it. It's a cool story because a lot of people in our Facebook group and online, they know who Jeff is because he is active. And Jeff literally lives in Frisco, just like a few, like 30 minutes from me in his brand new house. So he gave me 50. Then he refinanced his house, gave me 75. He gave me 125. I gave him back 625,000. And then one day I looked at him and I, I was so appreciative. I was like, I would never have all this. I wouldn't be able to take care of my family. So Jeff, beyond the 625, I'm going to give you $2,000 as your retirement till the day you die. Nice. And like, thank you. And it's oh, a crazy dude, story. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's I love awesome. it. Awesome. Love it. Love it. You mentioned that you started your own shop. What was the name of that shop? Uh, Titan Engineering. Titan the, Engineering. Yeah. So how did Titan Engineering become Titans of CNC? Yeah. So... There's a lot of crazy, like I've been so fortunate and you know, like faith is a huge part of my life. And I just knew that like the timing was good. I had, what was the timing? What year was it when Titan? We were setting it up in 2004, doors opened in March of 2005. Okay. And I started with 25 customers just hustling, making it happen. Um, what kind of machines? What did your shop look like? This is a crazy story. Very short. Selway actually went to Haas and I was trying to get financing and they denied me. They said, doesn't matter with the down payment. We're not going to do it. And then Bill Selway, you guys knew Bill Selway who just passed. Like, love him, love his family, all that. Yeah, they're great. Bill called me. This is one, just one of the great things that he did. He called me because he would hear all about all these programs and all. He just knew I was talented as a programmer. He called me and he said, I was going through a stack of papers on my desk and I saw your name. And of course, I'm not John or Jake, right? I'm like Titan. <laughs> so out, he's like, oh, yeah. wait. And he's like talking to this guy, Keith. Wait, Titan's trying to open his shop. Yeah, they denied him. And he said, hey, 
he said, give me his number. He called me up. He said, what's your plan? I gave him my game plan. I told him who my customers were. And he said, Titan, I haven't done this in nine years, but I'm personally going to guarantee your machines to Haas. Where do I drop them off? Nice. So he co-signed oh, for you. wow. That's, he fine. that's fantastic. Yes. Right. Bill that's Selway awesome. just passed away like a month ago. Yeah. So yeah, and Selway is one of the one yeah. of the big distributors of Haas brand yeah, in on the California. West Coast. Okay, okay. Haas, Matsura. How cool is okay. that? What a tribute to him that we're Crazy. telling that story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. that's awesome. I really want to see what did that shop floor look like? What kind of machines did you have, Titan? So one thing, so I, I got two BF2 SSs because everything I was doing, I was selling speed and efficiency. And I was and I was gonna work around the clock. I put a bed in the shop. My wife would come watch videos. And I had um, two SL10 lays, one with a bar feeder, one without. So it's about a three, almost about three hundred thousand dollar loan that he actually co-signed. Yeah, that's about three hundred grand there. I started doing like um, certain. There's a company, Seco, uh, over in yeah. uh, Redding, California, mm-hmm. and they started giving me all of their surveying parts. So I had like it was great because it was like thousand like ten thousand parts per order so i went to western tools and here's another one western tools when i had no credit and just months before i was borrowing money for gas to get to work because i had fifteen hundred dollars child support and i still wasn't able to see my kids that often right on jerry who also just passed away exactly wow jerry looked at me because I'd ordered so many things through all these different companies. And he's like, same thing. You need to have your own shop. I picked out vices and I spent $40,000. He gave me credit, as much credit as I needed. He gave it to me and I got all Tico vices, the double vices. I set them, I stacked four on the table of a BF2SS. And G54, I basically just G55, G56, G57, on and on and on, on and on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a quick change parallels. I made aluminum jaws that basically you snap in, snap out. I could change them out like in seconds, like in minutes, you know, and just go from job to job to job. That allowed me to have like one hour run times, even though the each each part was only like a few minutes, and therefore I'd be able to run multiple machines by myself. And that's how we just started going, man. Cycle times, but yeah, just doing a bunch of parts yeah. and then just harvesting. Titan Engineering was a job shop, job shop that did production machining or, yep. or low volume. Uh, we X. we did everything okay. from low end, but I was trying not to do the low end, trying not to do the gravy. Trying to, my thing was do complicated jobs and save people money because of the talent and programming and fixturing the way that we were going to do it. Got it. So I'd always go in and I would look at people's parts. And then I would quote them and I'd, I'd explain how I was going to fixture them, why we were different, how we were going to run them. And then I'd give them a price and the price would be much lower. And what was really cool is that guys like Keith Grano, Keith Grano, if you're looking, listening, I love you, brother. He's one of the top sales guys on the West Coast. And he actually introduced me to Bill Selway and all those guys. But he would always come into the shop and I'd be like a little kid, like an artist with my fixture. I'd be like, check this out. Like, yeah, you know, right. I got somebody to like talk to. So I'd always be selling them. But guess what? Keith and other salespeople, they went out to all these companies that make their own products and kept telling the story about this guy who was just solving these problems. So then that's how I ended up getting so many customers. You know what I mean? It all just kind of came around. The work holding world is so cool because there's not one way to clamp apart, you know? So you see so much creativity and ingenuity with how people hold stuff. And that's one of the things we really enjoy is just like working with other engineers and bouncing ideas back and forth when we're making a fixture. I tell everybody, like, the difference between machinists is their ability to fixture and understand how to actually set up. We were just talking about setting up 
And then you got to run it. Right. You can't just run fast. You have to be able to ha- hold it rigid. You got to have the right tools. There's so many different variables that go into it. And that's one of the Rigidity, reasons. Rigidity, chatter, stock removal, all of those we don't, things. We don't like chatter, but yeah. No, we don't. We don't <laughs> like chatter. That's, yeah. that's our enemy. That. Yeah. Yes. But I'll say that that's one of the things that a lot of shops, huge companies, aerospace companies love about our academy. Not jumping in there too quick. But you go through the building blocks, which is like three axis, the lathe, which is like the rocket for the lathe, which is just two axis lathe. And then you jump straight into a fixturing series. And anybody, if you guys haven't seen it, there's a fixturing series on the Academy that it teaches so many different styles of fixturing that you've never seen. It shows you how to put like pallets on base plates, how to use ID expansion clamps, how to use all these things. So when you do this one teaching series, your brain opens up and you realize I can hold anything. Right. I can program. I can do like, how do you hold some crazy part that has no sides to it? You know what right. I mean? Or like, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Well, that's always, always the problem with a casting here. You've got this funky shaped part and you've got a precision machine. It. How do you hold it? It's Absolutely. not square. It's not rectangle. You can't take that and just put it in a vise and start cutting, right? You've got to create a fixture or some type of work holding on this irregular shaped part. Take that irregular shaped part, make a pocket, pop in pit bull clamps or- around and lock into it. And it has a range to hit well, it. we got these like these adjustable ball elements that accommodate the contour of the part. So yeah, we'll, we'll do I've stuff used like that. those before. I haven't seen any that work really well. Have you used pit bull clamps from anybody? Yes, my, they're yeah. using them in my shop right you now. Them actually, all the time. yeah, yeah, they're yeah. yeah. So many fixtures. I have them. never used. They have them. a movement to them. So if you actually look at our fixture series, Dave's a great friend of mine. You know, Bishop and all that. But then the pit bull clamps are amazing. They have um, uniforce clamps. There's just so many little tips and tricks to just figure out how to hold things. ID expansion. Grab it from the inside. So right. you profile it. But I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's the art of manufacturing. And it's funny that you're an artist because I think that our industry, we're artists in our own right. We're sculptors. Because we really do mm-hmm. make pieces of art. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean modern Michelangelo. not only do they look good, but they're super close tolerance. You know, we're splitting a hair on your human head, what, eight times? Absolutely. So, I mean, yes. So it kind of is funny that nick titan you guys are artists yeah yeah i never thought i would end up in the family business right right i was a painter yeah i mean i like art i like being creative i like design i like all that too and it's funny how it just all comes full circle you probably don't know this i actually have an art minor you do not Yeah, photography yeah 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 i knew that yeah i have a a minor in school i've known you 10 years i've never known that yeah you know what Engineering degree with an art uh, minor. I don't listen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> he's visual. He's not. He's not exactly. a listener. Yeah. He's got to draw me a picture Jim, before. I, Jim yeah. only listens when he's talking. <laughs> yeah. So, so you yeah. got Titan Engineering, right? Back to the, the yeah. Evolution. Let's go back here. to it. Yeah. So you got your shop. You're solving problems for people. You're even doing some like contract work in other shops, solving problems like that. Now you got this academy. How did you get there? Wait, that's a, it's a, it's a big, uh, there, there's a, a big, big jump, jump yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. Fill in the, the gap. Skip like three years. Yeah, slow it down, Nick Bolner. Yeah. Let's go. Well, we got time. I what, mean, this one thing, be a long episode. I'd love to speak on what you just spoke. What's of. that? Good. Go you you were talking about the art of manufacturing yes. all these different things. Not getting into that part of it yet, but there was a time where like I was doing like for a decade doing work for Blue Origin and. America's other favorite rocket company and other people, you know, we're not mentioning names on that one, but it's like 
I learned through that process and we came to a place and, and there's times where we struggled because of the work, we're just trying to figure it out as everybody else was. But there came a time where I told my team, and this was a crazy time because I told my team, I said, I'm not making any more calls because we're two tenths out. I'm not making any calls to try to save a part. If you're a tenth out, we're scrapping it. And that instrumental, like that moment, my entire shop changed and we focused on making parts. And I just did a video a while back and I was talking about this exact thing because all of a sudden I started hearing stories where we used to have a pile of engineers being called because there was a problem with our parts. Then I had a pile of engineers where they were pulling out from the perfect boxing and the perfect wrapping and they were taking out parts and complicated parts and commenting that it was jewelry. Yes. And now oh, they're calling that. people, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So no, you like, just raised the bar. You said Exactly, exactly. And and so there's a shift that had to take place to really understand that we're giving them art. If they're asking for this surface finish, we're going to exceed expectations and we're going to give them an experience that nobody else has given. And if I got to work multiple days and not get paid for it to deliver those parts, we're going to do it. And that change is the reason that I ended up with the best engineers at these companies doing the most complicated parts. And we had consistency until so we decided not to. So was it just a mind shift? with your team it was the leadership okay, okay it was me I think it comes down to what you talk about all the time jason your values one of the making chips values is passionate craftsmanship right he was like we're going to be passionate about our craftsmanship we're not going to settle for any deviations anymore and you just set the bar there i love it if you tell your kids like i'm going to take away the video games right yeah. yeah if i catch you doing it more than 30 minutes or something like that and they do it for 40 minutes and you don't take them away. They're going to do it you again. Just and they're going to do it just, again. Yeah. It's yeah. the same right. thing with the shop. The responsibility has to be on the machine shop owner or the leader to be able to have that gut check and say, what am I willing to do for mm -hmm. the future of my company? And what I have to do is say, some of these jobs are $30,000. They're $50,000. They're more than that. Am I willing? You know what I mean? So like when something's almost there, you're like, I'm going to make this call because I got too much money invested. Right. But it had to come to a time where I said, no matter how much money is invested, I'm not going to make that call. And my guys knew. Like, you say you're not going to make that call to call the engineer and say, hey, we've got your part. Can you exactly. accept part this deviation? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. We can't get it any better than two tenths out of roundness or something like when that. When I knew that we could. Okay. But my guys, okay. for some reason, something happened. They didn't look at the torque spec. They squeezed right. it, machined it. It flared on them. Something, right? I could call Travis. Travis was in so many of these talks with different companies. He was a process engineer. So it's like, but there was a time where I said no more. And I think there was a job. There was probably a job, 20 grand, where I just kept them and I just left them in the shop. And I was like, we're going to remake them right now. And they were like a 10th out. It was a symbol to my guys no more. And guess what? They started paying attention. And I started just feeding them and talking to them about the quality and what we were going to do and how we were going to give them a service that they never experienced before. And it worked, man. Yeah. I, I mean, it. you get what you tolerate. You exactly. know what I mean? And if you right. stop tolerating that, they're going to step up and they're going to be better. Exactly. Or they'll move on to and, a company that'll put, tolerate. You have, to, right. you have to push them to greatness. You know, I've yeah. always like looked at it and just said, so now going from the other company, Seco calls me and says, hey, Titan, we're actually going to take all your parts and put them down in Mexico. 
and we're going to put mean some they're pulling in. the production they're from your the shop production. and right. they're going to exactly put it and when yeah. I talk about my faith it's a crazy thing and I had other customers but that was my big one and that was like just a ton of parts and then I was doing them like I was getting them such a good rate on them that they were buying the material for me so I made a deal you purchase the material because you guys are big I'm not going to buy it and right. then They've and then add power. 15% yeah. right right and then I'm going to lower my rate and right. I'm already run so much faster and you're going to get a cheaper part you know and it lasted for a long time until somebody else came in to lead and just had the vision to outsource and that's what they had to do right so what year was that when they Seiko pulled all that work from you that was probably like 2006 and a half okay so but how, did, how did you respond to that yeah 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 there's nothing i could do okay and guess what and that was what percentage your, of your you business cried. Yeah, yeah that was probably 50 percent at that time yeah. okay yeah no bueno. you want to be diversified but it allowed me to just have a few guys yep. My wife was even running parts, you know, and a few guys and then basically be able to run day and night and actually mm -hmm. make some money and stuff. But then all of a sudden I get a call the week after the week after. And this guy, Rick Martinez, calls me up and he says, hey, Titan, I'm with Schilling Robotics. Can you come down and talk to us? And I was like, I search on the Internet and I'm like, oh, oh, OK. And I actually go down there. And they basically give me a tour. They're like, we heard about you. We heard about your skills. We heard about this and that. The owner, Tyler, has a part that he doesn't trust anybody with. And he needs it in like a week. And can, I was like, awesome. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. cool. So it's like a really cool story because all of a sudden these guys built ROVs, remote operated vehicles that go down to the bottom of the ocean. You got the framing and all that, like these Titan arms, no affiliation, but like it's all made out of titanium. So all of these different pieces had to be machined and they had some crazy shops. They're keeping a lot of people busy, but there's this new ultra HD heavy duty ROV that was brand new and they needed this big kind of titanium box. And they're like, can you do this? I was like, absolutely. And then he walks me to the computer. He shows me the computer and he shows me this company called Dylan up in Shingle Springs. And a lot of people know exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> and they show me, he shows me and he's like, this is what we did with him in one quarter. And it was $3 million. And he, and he looks at me and says, if you're as good as what everybody says, we will do this for you. Nice. I walk into my shop holding this big piece of titanium walked through all my guys. I was all about inspiration. And I told everybody, this part is going to change our lives right here. And then I put the part down. I actually walk in and I Google how to machine titanium. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> nice. I love it. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Absolutely. I can do it. Google. Yeah. How do I do it? That's But great. you know what? I called in the experts. I called in the tooling guys. You know, I brought them in. I brought in the right tools. I stayed day and night. I spit shine that thing, man. Yeah. And I made it beautiful. Went down a week later. I dropped off the part. We walked over. We put it in inspection. Rick walks me around. I see Tyler. Hey, Tyler. Rick's like, oh, the part's in inspection. He's like, oh, that's great. And this and that. We walk out. He starts showing me like we're, how they're testing all the ROVs. And he's, he's telling me about 200 ships that are being built out by the Netherlands. And each one has two ROVs and how they need new vendors. He walks me back in and Tyler's standing there with a the part. And Rick's like, oh, what do you guys think? And Tyler like literally looks at me and he says, this is probably the best part we've ever had come into our nice. company. Nice. And he says, give this guy as much work as he can handle. And from that point over three years, 
I went from having like six employees to 55 employees making a million dollars a month. And that's it. Nice. What happened from that point where you lost that job to Mexico and and it it was within a week. He, it was within they a week. Build it all up. I just started making parts, and and every part that I we brought in, we just I had a little bit better guys, so I had more help now. And then every part we came in was perfect to tolerance. They just kept giving me work, kept giving me work. Finally, they were like, "Hey, you're doing so much of our work. Like, we got to make sure that you stay alive." And so I made a plan to expand. I went into a thirty-five thousand square foot facility. By then, within this is within like. Two and a half years 06, of starting my company. Oh seven, oh eight, yeah, right before yeah, that was bad. Oh eight, yeah. but yeah, I'm, I'm but, waiting for the ball wait. to drop. Yeah, but I'm like, so if you guys look, Wall Street, the Wall Street Journal. If you look up a young boxer's redemption, Wall Street Journal and oh eight did an article on me mm-hmm. talking about the path, and they asked me about the economy, and I was so confident. I never experienced it, you know. <laughs> yeah. But by then, by then we're rolling, we're half price of everybody. I went in, I was so tired of quoting. I went in and called a meeting with Tyler and his top directors. And I said, everything that you want me to do, put right here. You purchase the material and whatever's left, take it and drop it in half. And I'll do it for that. And I was making a 40% profit after everything was paid. So I was feeling like I was the golden child. I felt like nothing could happen. They talked about the economy. I was like, they got 200 ships. They gave me a contract way out here. Contracts mean something. And I'm like, this is all, and I'm like half price. They're not going to take the work away, you know? And then all of a sudden I got the call and it's like, Titan, this is going to be a bad day. And everything stopped. Everything stopped. That was the the second gut punch. It was actually in 09 and the whole economy. Yeah. Just we tanked. actually, we didn't have too bad of an 08, but 09, I had to lay off 65% of my, I remember one at a time, each machinist coming in, hey, Jim, what's next? And I had that gut that I was sick to my stomach. I had to say, I'm very sorry. I do not have any more work for you. You're going to have to go home. And you know, you know what? They knew what was going on. Everyone was listening to the news. Everyone knew that the economy was in the toilet. So they received it okay? They were they were fine. They understood. I was honest and authentic with them. They knew what was going on. They could see there wasn't any raw material on the floor to be machined. So I remember that time too. And I remember vividly, I was driving with my dad. We were going to get Mexican food for lunch. And you know we went to lunch all the time together. And he just looked sick to his stomach. I mean, like it was bad. And I remember looking at him. And I had never been like... A, I was like kind of learning the ropes. And I was never been a sales guy or anything like that. And I just looked at him and I was like, I'm going to get out there and sell. I knew we were good at what we do. I knew we were the best cutting tool distributor in Chicago. And I'm like, I'm going to get out there and sell. I'm going to take control of this. I'm going to make sure that we make it through this. And that was when I had to kind of have a mind shift and say, this is my baby. I'm going to take control of the destiny of this company. And that's kind of where I've been, the position I've been in ever since. I mean, you have to, you have to take control of those things. Even if you get gut punch, you got to get back up. Yeah, You got to get back up. So what happened? So you're rocking and rolling. You're in a 35,000 square foot building. You're doing about yeah. 12 mil a year. No, but they just yanked this contract. I know, but I want to know, tell me about that phone call. You could probably still hear the guy's voice in your head. That was from Rick, right? Yeah. Actually, that was from Alex, a different, um, who's still a friend of mine today. But I started calling Tyler. Tyler wouldn't answer the phone. And I just expanded. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't Haas anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I brought him big Toyota Mills. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 550 that was SX, no joke. crazy, yeah. you know, $500,000 machines, you know? 
And I was like, and we were just cranking titanium. Yeah, you like, had a big monthly payment. Exactly. That, you know? Exactly. But I was like, I'm just going to shelf it. So I kept all my guys employed, 55, three shifts. 55 we were, hours a week? Three no, 50, no, 55 people. Oh, yeah, 55 116 people. hours a week. We were running Monday through Thursday, okay. 10 hours. We're okay. stacking it, putting parts in to run, keep running 24. And then I had guys coming in 12, 12, 12, Friday through, and they got four days off. Got it. So they worked the cool. weekend. Yep. So then I kept calling Tyler and he wouldn't call me back. And, you know, you just get that gut feeling like, oh, this is like super bad. Yep. This guy yeah. always picks up the phone yep. for right, me because right. I'm making him money. Right. Yeah. And then one day he answers the phone and he says, Titan, I don't know what's going to happen. Sooner or later, it'll come back, but it could be a year. You have to downsize. Because I was like, I don't know, expanded. you were just telling you were just telling me and you were talking about having to talk to your guys yeah. and stuff. But like everybody, for me, everybody knew what was happening in the economy. And my guys had an amazing, I was paying my guys great. Like I was the first one in my area where I was just like, hey, you can make six figures as a machinist and you can start doing and you probably things, had the best. You know what I mean? We were making good money and I was taking care of my guys. My, the shop was beautiful, all that. But. That happened. That phone call happened. And then I went into a place where I was an owner thinking, I need to get rid of, not two, I need to do something. And, and I had such a huge heart and I'd sold them on this vision, you know? And so I ended up picking 15 people and then I'm contemplating 15 of my guys, my family, the people that I love. And I picked 15 and I'm thinking, how do I, I've never experienced this before. How do I do it? Like if I tell one person and then they go out and tell everybody else mm -hmm. and then I'm slowly right. calling people throughout yep. the whole day, devastation. So right or wrong, Oof. I'd always done this before, you know, just having these like, so I called the 15 in and I really focused, I kept my best machinist. I focused on the others because I knew I was going to have to come back. You know, and I called them in and they came in and they basically, everybody's joking and laughing. And I told them like the trouble that we were in and they're joking and laughing. And like, it was the hardest thing I ever had to do. And I had to let them know, Hey, we're going to have a serious talk. And I just did it all 15 oh, yeah. at one time. And that I just was, told that them, was probably smart. Yeah. And I know tough. you probably were going to throw up, right? It was yeah. that bad. So it the was collective emotion went from laughing yeah. and joking to just how did they exactly. handle it? Oh, like tears, man. Yeah. No. Tears. Nobody was like, you know, this and that. They knew that we lost the work. And I was like, I told him, I just talked to Tyler, like, it's not all these parts where I've been machine. I've been keeping you guys all busy without being able to ship the parts. But now I'm being told, like, we don't know. You know what I mean? And, and like, I have this amount of money in the bank and it's just, it's going to run out. And by yep. then, now I'm running rocket parts, right? Because I had read this article in Inc. magazine about this guy who built a rocket company. And I, sent letters and all this. I don't want to get too into the weeds on that, but then only a select few of my guys were qualified to make those parts. Sure. You know what absolutely. I mean? So just 55 guys couldn't make those parts, right, you know? Right, 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 right. Less than 10, you know? So anyway, yeah. Okay, so I got a question. Yep. So we've talked a lot to this point right now, and this is a, probably a pivotal part of your career, right? And we all know where you're at today. We it's, know what you're doing. Everything. We haven't yet told that story yet. So you had this very successful machine shop. You were cranking stuff out. You got the call. You had to lay off 40 of your guys. It was devastating. It was painful. You were sick to your stomach. What did you learn from that experience? 
I wouldn't say that. I mean, today is a different day, right? Right. At that time, what did you learn? I just want to say I spent a year going out on a, the Forest Hill Bridge on my knees, praying for God to save my shop, praying for my employees, praying for work to come in, praying for everything. Please save the shop. I spent an entire year before I actually had to like lock the doors and, and walk away from it and go down and stuff. So later on, miracles happened to allow me to save and I made deals and I paid money back and I did all the things I had to do to stay good with everybody. But at the end of the day, that experience was exactly what I needed. It changed my entire life where everybody else was like, okay, now we're rolling again. Now I'm making rocket parts and doing all these different things. And and now I have these companies saying, oh, you guys are making incredible parts. You know, like you're way up in Northern California. How'd they find you and all this? But this is 2010. Like I was numb to it. Yeah. I'd already done it and lost everything. Right. I'd already worked seven days I a week. Yeah. I'd already like spent time away from my family. I'd already yeah, gone you almost like things. freeze up thinking yeah. like you're going to try to 50, do it again. Thousand companes went out of business. I People just terrible, like man. me went out. It was the worst. And everybody talks about it. Nobody's doing anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I just had like a thirst. Like I don't know what's going to happen in my life, but like I want to make a difference in this trade. Mm-hmm. You know, and you don't know. You're not like whatever, you know. The but. problem about that time, though, is we had all these skilled guys in our shops, and then the recession came, we had to lay them off, and they couldn't find work anywhere. So they went out and were disseminated amongst carpenters, contractors. They even went to hospitality, real estate, all those things. So we lost them permanently. Yeah, so your mindset was, I don't want to start this, I don't want to create this shop again, so but I want to make a difference in the industry. I kept the shop. Okay. I made deals paid back money that I owed for rent and different things, right? Because everything died, you know what I mean? And so, but I made the right decisions. I built this, rebuilt the shop. I started at 10,000 square feet. I started going up. I hired a bunch of my employees back. We were rolling again, making money, all of that. But I was different. I wasn't that cocky kid anymore. Mm, you you know what I mean? Low I was, people and you people knew- were like, now I got rocket companies coming yeah. to me and saying like, Oh, now you guys are like helping us out. Now we got launches. We got this. We got that. You learn that it could be all be taken away from you tomorrow. And that's a humbling experience. And as a man who'd been through all that I've been through and walked the path that I'd been through, like I started thinking about life now as something like, what am I doing with my life? You know? What's the legacy that I'm going to leave? Guess what happens? The parole department for Pittsburgh, the head guy calls me because they read the Wall Street Journal article. And then he says, hey, we want you to come speak to the entire state's parole department. And I'm like, what? And they put me in Nemecolin up in Pennsylvania. And I speak to all these people. They pay me. Me and my wife goes, there's a line of people afterwards. They're like, where are you going to speak next? You know, and I just shared my heart on service. And they wanted to see somebody who came, went through the system. And did all these things. And they wanted the inspiration yeah. that there's something on the other yeah. end of this sentence. But I've never that you done have. anything like that right. before. You know, yeah. I was like an F student, you know, yeah. like I'm not trying <laughs> to get in front of but anybody. But that's why it was so good because it was authentic. Yeah. In my element in a machine shop, I was good with my people, right? right? I go back to California and I sit down on my desk and I just know something's going to happen. The phone rings. My office manager says, Hey, somebody's on the line from the Discovery Channel. I'm like, I answer the phone. I'm like, oh, you just went from, you're talking to the guy who went from homelessness to prison to building a great American job shop. And uh, you were going to make this incredible show. And and he's like, no, man, I just need a part. 
You know Discovery what I mean? Channel needed a part. <laughs> he just needed a part. They were doing this thing about nice. on the beach. You're like, they you want to make me a, a TV part, star, right? <laughs> put it in the sand, have water run up on it. It was just yeah. for a little prop for yeah. a show. Yeah. But I walked home and I said, out of thousands, I mean, I, I went home. I told my wife, I said, out of thousands of shops, this guy did not just call me. Like he called me and it clicked. And I knew that we would start a TV show. The show was never about being on TV. I'm a shy person away from camera. Yeah. And I was going to ask that. You're very charismatic. And now, <laughs> did you have to learn how to be? I mean, I had to learn. like you said, you were yeah. shy. Wow. Even the TV show, I was like, people were trying to make me be like the Orange County, trying to do these right. different like the things. the choppers, guys. Yeah. But a CNC machine is a precision. You're cool on the, the roof can light on fire and fall down and the machine can blow up and I'm going to be cool under pressure. So yeah. it wasn't my personality. So it took like, seasons so now we know had the tv show titan american build and i did it to pull back the curtains to show people like nobody's talking mm-hmm. let's show them process let's show them they're running at 20 per- like all these people that i out competed and i love that i out competed them they lost their businesses like let's turn around and be a teacher now and show them and my idea was that i could go to all these big companies like mercury marine and edelbrock and show them advanced process but as I went to all of these places, they were running at such a low level. I realized training on like real machinists, like training is a problem and education is a problem. And when you guys know the story, I went into San Quentin and I just took that as an opportunity. Hey, I'm going to actually build this technical school. I'm going to use it as a template for all schools to see how to build a manufacturing school, build curriculum. And, uh, and so I did San all Quentin that. Prison was San like Quentin. your kind of like your beta test for what the academy is right now yeah guys so our podcasts are usually about 40 minutes 30 minutes there's way too much to put in one podcast okay i want chapter one to end here and then chapter two the rise of titans and cnc okay let's have the next i think this is a good point to pivot now yes we're gonna stop this one please listen to the next episode everybody part two is gonna be just as good as part one titan's gonna stick around we're gonna do at least one maybe two more episodes catch us next time Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.